Tim Weisberg here, along with the asylum assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. We are here to talk about the paranormal, as we are each and every Saturday night for the last eight years. That's right, we're celebrating our eighth anniversary tonight. Happy anniversary, guys. Happy anniversary. Hooray. Where's my cake and strippers? I mean, where's my cake? I just want cake. <laughs> mm, cake. We need a drop of Homer. Saying, mm, cake. cake won't give me uh, Hep C. That's true. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to use the uh, Purell outside the studio after cake. Well, I mean, maybe. Depends on how you eat it. But uh, we are celebrating our eighth anniversary. It is uh, tomorrow is the actual date, on uh, January 26th, 2006. Spooky South Coast went on the air for the first time, and man, was it terrible. I want to thank Keith Johnson for being our first ever guest and enduring whatever that crap was that we called the show. You, you don't have to worry about that, Moniz. You don't have to claim any responsibility because it was before you were involved in the program. So you can disavow all connection to the first, like, two months of the show. And I plan to. There were a few gems in there. I will say this. There's a few in there that I'm proud of, uh, and there's a few where you could tell we were definitely kind of struggling our way through. But, And thank you to the powers that be here at WBSM for allowing us to keep coming in here and doing this every Saturday night, or either that or just forgetting that we do it. <laughs> I think once they gave us the key, they were like, okay, you know, we don't, we're not going to pay attention anymore, and that's what ended up happening. Some, some night somebody's going to show up here and be like, oh, you guys still do that? I'm just kidding. We have There's promos that run during the week, and, and Phil and Pete and Taylor, they all promote the program. So we thank everybody here at WBSM. We love you, and hopefully you love us. We plan on sticking around for a long time to come, and we want to thank each and every one of you out there for listening. Uh, I think the last count, well, the last count was well over 3 million downloads uh, over the last eight years, but that number just keeps growing exponentially uh, because... You know, we talk about things that people want to know about, that people want to hear about. And so you never know when somebody new is going to find the program. And you know the whole idea of binge watching? We have Aaron Kadju, by the way, here with, with us in the studio. And we are going to jump into the discussion about the tri- Bridgewater Triangle documentary coming up. But, Aaron, just kind of, you know, we'll just roundtable a little bit with this. You know the idea of binge watching, right, with uh, television shows and Netflix? Yes, but first, happy anniversary to Spooky South Coast. Thank you. Another one of our very early guests was Aaron Kadju. And uh, thank you for coming back. Thank you for having as me. terrible as we probably were that first time. Uh, but the idea now is people sit there and they watch whole seasons of a show kind of in one weekend. My parents just did that with Breaking Bad. I think everybody's parents or everybody just did that with Breaking Bad lately. But uh, So people do that now with television, but people have been doing that with Spooky South Coast since we started. People will email me during the course of the week and say, I just discovered your show, and now I'm in the process of listening to every single episode. And if you think about it, we've done probably close to 600 episodes at this point. Yeah. So if you're going to do that, if you're going to listen to one episode a day, it's going to get you through almost two full years of everyday listening. So if you haven't listened to every episode, what are you waiting for? They're all free. 
They're available from iTunes or wherever podcasts are found. But, you know, just skip that first one, maybe. And, you know, you'll appreciate this, Aaron, being a technically-minded guy. We came in here, and Matt Koss and I, we'll, we'll break down the wall a little bit here, and we'll share some spooky South Coast history. We originally were uh, given permission to do the show, I think it was November, October or November, and we spent a few months, actually, it might have been September even. We you were stationed for the South. And even though eight years later, we still let the computer fire <laughs> off on its own. We spent a few months developing the format of what we thought we wanted to do. And of course, it all went out the window once the red light went on, because we're like, uh. But we spent a few months kind of putting the show together, and we had just started hearing about this thing called podcasting. We had no idea how to download a podcast, how to play one, but we knew that that was probably going to be something that we wanted to look into. And we just figured it was going to be a local show that would have local interest and maybe get some calls, and that was it. I was just kind of hoping that we could do well enough that they wouldn't yank us off the air. And so we decided to try this podcasting, and we didn't know how to record the audio. There was no online streaming then. There was no, there was a device here for a while that used to record podcasts, but now that's been gone because now we have everything computerized. So we had no way of really doing it. I came in here with my little handheld Sony digital recorder that I use on investigations and that I use in the locker room for sports writing, and I connected uh, an eighth-inch cable to it out of the old board, and I put it in there, and I started recording that way. And I didn't bother to adjust the microphone sensitivity, and I totally clipped out the entire thing. So if you listen to that first episode, that's what you hear for the whole show. So it's not exactly uh, a great piece of technical wonder, but uh, we made it through. Everybody starts somewhere. Right. And, and we started at the very bottom. And uh, we dragged Keith Johnson down with us for that first show, but uh, for some reason he keeps coming back. He likes us. So uh, we are very happy that all of you have been sticking with us. One of the topics, of course, that made us last this long, one of the topics that got us notoriety was the Bridgewater Triangle. We discovered it during our early research uh, into the paranormal in this area for the show. Before we were even on the air, I reached out to you and asked you to come on the program, and I think it was our third or fourth episode that you were in here for, and that's been the topic that has been far and away number one of all the shows that we do. Every year, that annual Bridgewater Triangle show gets uh, you know, almost into the millions itself for downloads. There seems to be even an international interest in the Bridgewater Triangle, so that's not a very surprising thing. Uh, we were, you know, they were talking about the Bridgewater Triangle in Australia uh, a few months ago. So, and they they seem to uh, latch on to the concepts of of what we discuss here that we think is very localized and, and colloquial to our area. But it turns out this phenomena is universal. Everybody just has different names for it. You know, the the puckwudgies of here could be the fairies of England. They could be the you know Tasmanian devils of of uh, of Australia, or Tasmania in that case. But uh, so there's. A universal appeal to everything that happens here in our little corner of the world. So we'll talk about the documentary. I'm fascinated in finding out about the process of getting it out there and what the reaction has been. Everybody that I've talked to about it has had very positive responses to the film, not only for the information provided, but just the way that the film looks. And the last time that we had you on, we hadn't really seen the film yet. And now we've seen it a few times, and we've been able to break it down. Um the response to what we've done, I, I should I should say, when we went into this, I knew there was going to be an interest just because of the subject matter. Uh, when I did that Inside the Bridgewater Triangle back in college, back in 2003, just that half-hour student film generated quite an interest, and that's basically why 
I reapproached the subject and joined forces with Mandy to make to make this film. But the response that we've gotten has been far beyond anything that I that I had expected. I, we premiered it on October 20th at UMass Dartmouth, sold out 750 people. And the biggest surprise was the following week at the uh, Bridgewater State College show that uh, Tim was actually at and Matt. Yeah. Uh, we sold out 450 seats going head-to-head with the Red Sox in the World Series at the same time, yeah. which shocked me because the way they did ticket sales up there, you'd call, put your name on a list, show up at the door and buy your tickets there from the list. Now, you could call, put your name on the list and say, reserve X amount of tickets for me and then not show up. So right. I was like, oh, you the watch Red the Sox game. are yeah. in the World Series. Nobody's going to show up for this thing. And they were turning people away at the door. Yeah, that was incredible. And and the response to the film there, I think, was even bigger than it was at UMass. I mean, everybody at UMass loved the film, but when you're at Bridgewater State College, when you're in the heart of the Bridgewater Triangle, people who live and work every day uh, right up against these places that you talk about in the film, you, you just felt like... You know, it's like uh, making a documentary about somebody's family and then asking them what they thought about it. You know, you have the chance to see the people who are directly affected by the phenomenon. Well, if you, if you watch people in the audience, especially the people that live in the area, they'll watch the film and they'll see a location that they know and they'll whisper to each other like, I know that street, I know that place, that's right down the street from my uncle's house or whatever. And the Bridgewater show was great. It was it was a better venue than UMass Dartmouth in terms of watching a movie. It was more shaped like a traditional movie theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, the experience was better there. And unfortunately, they were our first choice for the premiere. But you know, I don't think they really understood you know what we had going, and they passed on it. So we took it to UMass. And UMass was great. The staff there was wonderful. But ideally, it would have been a Bridgewater State premiere. That's a the issue is that you're going to find people who might not have been receptive to the idea in the past are now all of a sudden like, well, wait, we got to get this movie in here because it's it's kind of taking the area by storm. I think when people hear about somebody doing a paranormal documentary because of what they see on television, they automatically assume it's going to be like a boots on the ground, uh, people running around with handheld cameras with infrared and you know night vision and all that. Not that that's a bad thing, but there's a lot of that already out there. Right. And I think when this film came out, people weren't expecting what they what they got. I think it just kind of caught some people by surprise. Or that they're thinking paranormal activity type of movie where they think it's a more mockumentary than anything. Exactly. Well, this is really... I don't know of any other paranormal themed documentaries that are like this. It's more of a historical look at the region, more so than a, than a boots on the ground. There's a little bit of that boots on the ground stuff in there, but it's, it's really more of a historical look. One of the things that is uh, that sets you apart from a lot of these other documentaries that are out there is a lot of the other documentaries are produced by amateurs doing amateur work. And while you know you are a professional filmmaker, I mean, you've, you've been working in this field for a long time, uh, this is something that you've pretty much done by amateur method, by putting everything together by yourselves. You know, you weren't hiring camera crews to come in and do this. You weren't bringing in, you know, uh, even your voiceover talent was John Horgan, who is, you know, a friend of the paranormal in this area and has been researching the triangle forever. So the people who did help you are connected to that story. It wasn't like you went to Hollywood and said, you know, I need to hire a crew. This was all done very grassroots. Yeah, it was kind of the perfect storm, really. I mean, we had help from from the the crew of Spooky South Coast was... was very, very helpful in this process, and they've done a lot for us, and we appreciate that. And everybody that was involved was just so helpful and so excited to be a part of it. And uh, it was kind of like a giant middle finger to the usual way of doing things. And sure. Then, you know, because I'm lucky enough that I work in video production, I own my own video production company, have all the tools that I need at my disposal. So we didn't, other than the narration and buying the music for the sound score, 
we did everything ourselves. And I mean everything. We shot it. We edited it. We did the sound design. We did absolutely wrote it, directed it, everything. Everything we did ourselves. And um, you don't see that too often. Most, I mean, if we had to outsource the tasks that we did in-house for this movie, we never would have been able to afford it. One of the criticisms that I hear of a lot of documentaries in the genre, and even that I'll include, you know, the one-hour specials that you see on the travel stations and, and things like that. For example, you know, Moniz was featured recently on Monsters and Mysteries in America, and that had a very dramatic reenactment take to it. Um, I think that, you know, they, they went out and they hired kind of lookalikes for Moniz and, and for the Starborn twins, and they had them kind of reenacting the story. With you, there's a little, little tiny bit of reenactment, kind of just in the way the shots are set up, but you let the people tell their own story, and, and that to me is more powerful than just seeing, you know, what's obviously some actor portraying Matt Moniz. Yeah, reenactments are a tricky thing. Uh, we wanted to, we, there were places where we felt that it was appropriate, and but it's a it's a fine line you got to walk with reenactments because it can come across as very hokey and that's the only word i can think of uh if you don't do them Absolutely. properly and you're almost better off we because of our budget we used a lot of uh, artist renditions of things right. through the movie and i think it actually works well especially in bill russo who was featured both in our film and that episode of monsters and mysteries in our film the only depiction you see of the creature that he saw is an artist rendition uh, and then we just fill it in with shots of his neighborhood and the path that he walked with his dog when he saw this creature. And, I, and it just it's so different to see how our film tackled that compared to how Monsters and Mysteries tackled it. And they seem to tackle it in more of a mainstream Hollywood uh, or mainstream TV sensationalized manner where we kind of took a more grounded approach with it. The way that I'm tired of seeing it done, to be honest with you, because you see it and it's the same thing every time. I mean, you're seeing the same type of... And it bothers me, especially knowing the people. And obviously with the Bridgewater Triangle documentary, I know a lot of these people and I've heard their stories and I've talked to them in the past. So I want to see a very accurate representation of who they are. And by letting them tell their own story... Uh, it becomes so much more believable than seeing somebody, you know, acting their response to a UFO flying overhead. As opposed to when you can see the look on their faces, they're recounting it. And uh, the, the choices of interviews that you had, you had people who are not only very sincere, but they're not very um, sensational in their storytelling either. You know, they're not trying to amp it up. They're not trying to go overboard. And I know that being directors... You ask the questions when you're doing the interviews, but you're not coaching them to act in any kind of way like these reality shows do. Well, just from my own point of view, attacking the subject, I'm a huge skeptic when it comes to the paranormal. I, I tell people I walked into this this project probably at 99% skeptic, and I walked away still probably 95, 96% skeptic when it comes to most of the stuff that I'm hearing. So. I attacked it from a very, or we attacked it, I should say, from a very neutral journalistic standpoint. And when we were interviewing people, there was no way that we were going to coach them to try to spook it up or anything like that. If the story was spooky, we were going to let it be spooky on its own, and we presented it in the film that way. And, uh, you know, that I use Bill Russo's story as an example. They actually changed some details of his story in the Monsters and Mysteries special. And after I saw it, I was really disappointed about that. And I, and I thought to myself, his story is intriguing enough okay. as it stands on its own. There's no need to embellish anything. Uh, the main thing was that he saw claims to have seen this creature. It walked out underneath, underneath a street lamp on a paved roadway. 
with, when he saw this creature with his dog. And in the Monsters and Mystery special, they depicted that he was walking his dog through the swamp when he came across mm-hmm. this creature. And that's not what happened. And, and it was kind of an unnecessary change, it, just from my perspective. I thought they could have just told the story straight up how it happened. I can tell you what happened. And I wasn't involved in the filming of that. I was supposed to be. But anyway, that's a whole different story. But uh, after making me rearrange my whole schedule. But uh, the I can tell you how those shows work and the limited experience that I've had filming some of them. They don't listen to you when you're talking to them. They're not hearing your story and hearing your recounting of that story. They're hearing what they can latch on to for storytelling purposes. So you could be telling them, you know, the most fantastic story, but they're only zeroing in on certain details. And so they've already got it in their head uh, how it's going to be presented before you've even finished telling your story. They're, they're taking your story and shaping and molding it to their expectations rather than the other way around, I think. And they the get away with it by putting that disclaimer at the beginning. The following is based on true events. And I, I, I don't think that you use that phraseology at the beginning of your film. No, because we, you know, we use a lot. If you listen, we wrote everything that you hear the off-screen narrator John Horrigan say. And in the, the language of the film, you hear a lot of words like allegedly, reportedly, as the story goes, a lot of that kind of language. Because we're not, we didn't, tr- the goal of this movie, we weren't trying to convince anybody that anything that was being said was 100% fact or true. Our goal was to present the stories as they're told by the eyewitnesses with testimony from experts an expert panel, and then when the viewers finished watching the film, they walk away from it saying, I don't believe in the Bridgewater Triangle, I do believe in the Bridgewater Triangle, and then there's, there's, there's ways to think about the Bridgewater Triangle in between, you know, it's like, you talk, Tim always talks about the blue car syndrome, uh, and is it just that there's more of an awareness of the paranormal in this area because of the existence of the Bridgewater Triangle, mm-hmm. and people seeking it out and more likely to notice things, uh, as opposed to other areas in the country. So, you know, that's that's how we, we attacked it. We wanted to just, you know, tell the stories as they stand and let the viewers make their own. I mean, to some people, they, they look at this and they're used to that uh, over-the-top style that we see in a lot of it. So when they hear words like allegedly and reportedly, uh, to them, they might see that as being kind of a knock on the credibility of what you're saying. I look at it completely the other way. Again, being a journalist and taking that point of view, you're just presenting the story and letting the viewer make up their own mind. And I think people walk away with a more powerful reaction to it that way than if you're kind of force-feeding them what it is that you want them to believe. Well, you know, Joseph D'Andrade claims he saw Bigfoot at the Claybanks Pond in Bridgewater in 1978. Now, he claims he saw it, but I wasn't there. None none of the people in this room were there, so we don't know what he saw. So how can we definitively say that he saw Bigfoot? We can't. As far as I'm concerned, I think it's disingenuous to, to lead people to believe otherwise. Right. But also, at the same time, you know, when somebody is sharing one of these experiences with you, you know, you have to make sure that you let them know, well, here's how we're going to present it. Uh, because you don't want them to feel like you kind of undercut them in the story that they shared. And, I mean, luckily, you're dealing with people who were in this film who have been telling these stories, with the exception of Bill Russo, who, of course, was exclusive to your film at the time. But... A lot of these people have shared these stories in the past, so they're used to suffering some of those slings and arrows for sharing this information with people. I I found it very interesting that one of the people that I know that you tried to get in contact with was Thomas Downey, and he didn't want to come on camera and share his thoughts. And that, to me, makes his story even more believable than it already was. Yeah, there's Thomas Downey, and then there was a couple of guys that were in a canoe out on Lake Nipponicket that claimed to have seen these uh, orangutan-like creatures on the island. And that was actually one of Lauren Coleman's stories. And like Downey, they refused to uh, attach their name to 
to their story. They wanted to remain anonymous. Not that Thomas, not that Downey wanted to remain anonymous, but he wouldn't tell a story, and these people wanted to remain anonymous, which I think, like Thomas Downey, not talking at all, gives them more credibility because they're not looking for any kind of publicity from it. There's some people who are in this field, uh, in paranormal research, who are characters. Anyway, like just in their everyday personality, you know, Joseph DeAndre is a perfect sure, example. Yeah. And so when you have somebody like that, you know, it, it kind of lends to uh, becoming the face of some of these stories. Uh, but to me, the face of these stories are those people who don't even report them, the people who live with them and will kind of just share. And I can't tell you how many countless reports we've gotten over the years. You've been in here when we've done the Triangle Show in the past where people will call in and share an experience and say, I don't want my name used. You know, I, can you take me to where you start? No, I don't want to take you out there. I'm just telling you this, and you can believe it or not, but this is all that I have for you. And, and those are the stories to me that stand out and stick in my mind because they have, there's nothing to gain. And with this film, there was really nothing for anybody to gain from sharing their stories. You weren't paying people to come on, to come into the film. You weren't promising them that they were going to be at Man's Chinese Theater for the, you know, for some big premiere. There was just the opportunity to share this story and get this information out there. So to me, that helps with the credibility of everybody that's in the film. Well, yeah, and, and along with that, it, you know, I have a lot of respect for the people that did come out that are first-hand eyewitnesses to these these occurrences in, in this area because it takes a lot of guts to do that, uh, especially like I keep referring to Bill Russo, but that guy, the guy sat on his story for 20 years and waited till he was retired to write about it in his blog, and that's how we found him. And, you know, we asked him if he'd be willing to do the interview, and I wasn't sure what he'd say, but he was gracious enough to agree. And I, and I think it takes a lot of guts to do something like that, and uh, we really appreciated him, him taking the time to do that. Was there any were there any stories that you filmed for the documentary that didn't make it into the documentary for whatever reason? Are there are there stories that just weren't compelling enough, or maybe there were some some technical issues? There, uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, it seemed like you tried to make sure that you included all the major stories that we've heard over the years. Yeah, there all the major stories that people have heard. There are some new ones in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the witnesses told multiple stories, and we tried to take the most powerful story that they would tell as the the one that we featured in the film. Sure, because like uh, I know a guy like you know Carlson Wood, he, he had a lot of experiences, so he probably had a lot of stories to tell. Yeah, Carlson Woods is a couple of that that we didn't feature in the film. But the beauty of of something like this is when we come out with the DVD or the Blu-ray, we can feature some of that extra stuff in the bonus material section. Uh, that may not have necessarily made the final cut of, of the documentary. Another guy who had multiple stories was the author, James Michael Rice, who told a story about the spook lights near the Indian Bridge in Bridgewater. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that part of the film, but uh, he had multiple stories to tell, too, but I thought that, that that story was the most intriguing one. Both those gentlemen having grown up in the heart of the Triangle and, and being there many, many years. Absolutely, yeah. So you mentioned the DVD and the Blu-ray, and, and we'll get into kind of the nuts and bolts of a lot of this later on. Uh, but one of the questions that we get asked all the time is, when is it going to be out on, on DVD or Blu-ray? And there's some process involved with that. Yeah, uh, I think, unfortunately, some people are starting to get a little impatient about it. But we keep trying to remind everybody that it's really no different than any other movie that has any kind of theatrical run. I mean, we, we just booked our first theatrical run at the Dedham Community Theater in February. Film's going to run for at least a week there. If it does well, it might run for longer. Uh, we have a series of film festivals that we're submitted to coming up. Uh, there's a bunch of Paracon events that we're going to be trying to feature the film in coming up. So we're not planning to release the DVD or the Blu-ray until some of that starts to die down, just as any other movie that runs in the theater. You don't, it doesn't come out on a DVD right away. You have to wait. Right. Um, so we're hoping maybe by the summer of this year we'll have the Blu-ray, DVD 
out uh, and available for purchase along with uh, some sort of a download option, whether it be iTunes or Amazon or whatever we decide to do in that regard. But that all being said, we've had enough of uh, requests for people to see the film from outside of this area that we are going to offer something, and I think we can announce that tonight, right? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, on Tuesday night, this coming Tuesday at 10 o'clock. It's cool of you, right? Oh, yeah. You're, yeah. The, you're the tech guy for this, so... <laughs> We, we good to go? We, we went over this. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Totally good. This coming totally Tuesday good. night at 10 o'clock, we are going to offer a live stream pay-per-view of the film. Right. So it's not a situation where you can download the film and watch it at your leisure. You have to actually boot up the, the player and be tuned in at 10 o'clock when the film starts. It's just like watching a boxing event on pay-per-view, except it's on your computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to offer people an opportunity to watch the film from the comfort of their own, from the comfort of their own internet connection in their own home, and watch the full 90-minute feature. And we're going to offer multiple screenings in the coming days and weeks, uh, because it's you know it's not fair to just expect everybody to make time for the one. You know they sure. have things going on or whatever. But we're going to offer it multiple times, just you know, so people can can see the film. And what's uh, good about this option is that you know so many people now they have high definition TVs with the HDMI that you can connect right to your laptop. Or maybe you have uh, you know a multimedia device. Maybe you have a, a, a gaming system or a Roku or one of those things. And if you can get web access to your television in some form or another, you can watch it on your HD TV in your living room. You can watch it, you know, on on the TV in your bedroom if you want to go lay on the bed and watch it. There's uh, a variety of ways that you can see it. So you can get yourself comfortable. You can have your home theater all set up, and you can just sit there and experience this film. And I should, you know, the Spooky South Coast guys are working with us on that, and it's going to be part of uh, Spooky TV. And uh, we really appreciate you guys uh, partnering with us on that, and uh, it should be pretty exciting. The advantage, too, for a lot of people who are out there and are outside the area is you can see this film, be amongst the first to see it in your area, because sooner or later, it's going to be taking your area by storm uh, in some fashion. So you can get ahead of the curve and see the film now. Uh, Now, I know that there's there's a lot of different things in play for how you can distribute this uh, mainstream down the line, but you mentioned the idea that films have a theatrical run and then they come out on DVD. Well, this is more of the independent genre where you're taking it from festival to festival hoping to kind of get that distribution deal. Are you still hoping to get this shown on a network or have this distributed by somebody larger? Or? Absolutely. Uh, you know, Some of the festivals that we're submitting to and hope we hope to get accepted are, are pretty high profile uh, film festivals and we're hoping the right set of eyes see the film and you know some sort of a broadcast deal emerges from it. We already do have interest from a, a high profile cable network uh, I'm not going to mention it specifically, but they're interested in the film and they're showing it around uh, to some of the people uh, that work at that network to decide if it's just it's something that they, they want to uh, broadcast. So we're kind of excited about that. But, uh, you know, through the festival process, we're hoping the right set of eyes do, do get set on this film. Yeah, you know, we like to think that we're pretty big-time stuff in the paranormal world here with Spooky South Coast, but this thing's about to go worldwide within the paranormal community tomorrow evening. Yeah, we we did. It's funny. We did actually offer a live stream pay per view option for the premiere in October, but I just I don't think enough people. It wasn't on the radar enough yet, mm-hmm. and we only ended up having I think it was like thirty people, if that was. Maybe it was like thirteen. I don't even remember what the number was, but it was a relatively small number. But we're hoping that uh, with this um, this now that now that more people are talking about the film, there's more of a buzz, there's more likes on the Facebook page, more hits on the website, that uh, it'll draw in a, a broader audience. And you're going to be hitting that broader audience tomorrow night 
on yeah, the granddaddy of all paranormal talk shows. We were uh, invited to be on Coast to Coast AM uh, Monday, early Monday morning from 2 to 5 uh, with George Knapp. And uh, it's going to be myself and uh, Bridgewater Triangle documentary participant Christopher Pittman on that. And so the, you'll, you'll have the opportunity to talk for three hours about the triangle and, and to get people interested in it. So that's what's, I think, going to really blow this thing up. I mean, as much as it's already been blowing up, uh, you know, w- people have heard George Norrie mention it a few times here and there. Uh, I've talked about it on the show. Jeff Belanger, Chris Balzano, Lauren Coleman has discussed it on the show. But it's always been something that's been discussed for just a few minutes. This is going to be hours of triangle discussion with a host, George Knapp, who is very interested in this kind of stuff and is uh, is really going to want to dig into some of the larger meaning of the triangle. So I think that that's going to kind of really blow things up. So I don't know... Technically wise, guys, when are you going to start putting those pay-per-view tickets on sale? Do you know that yet? When you're going to? Um, I'm not sure. Maybe we Maybe should tomorrow. probably try to get it going by the end of tonight. By the time we leave tonight, yeah. Is it yeah, tomorrow? I would say by tonight or early tomorrow. What's the process? I mean, you're the tech guy here with this stuff. It's What's the process? Long. Not too long. So you can do it like in about 10, 15 minutes right, after probably. the show. Yeah. All right. So why don't we do that? Just so we can make sure that it's available, so that people is there? Are there a limited number of slots, or is it going to be unlimited number of viewers? Um, as far as I know, it's unlimited. Okay. I read the website, and uh, I concur. But people should still get involved early. Right. So that you don't want to wait till the last minute and then pay for it and then have you know tech problems and all that stuff. And I'll put it to you like this. If you are listening and you're not sure if your computer can handle the idea of having the stream, go to Spooky TV right now at SpookySouthCoast.com. Watch the show as we're broadcasting. Uh, go back and watch some of the other shows. And we're going to have Spirit Connections at uh, 7 o'clock on Tuesday night on Spooky TV, right, Matt? Yep. So that can kind of be your little test show. That's a free program that airs every week on part of Spooky South Coast. So if your computer can handle watching Spirit Connections, then you should have no problem watching the pay-per-view when it comes on the air. So uh, just a little way just to make sure, because I know some people, they aren't, really tech savvy and they might be a little bit nervous about buying that pay-per-view until they know that it'll work spirit connections or spooky south coast right now is your way to definitely make sure absolutely and if if you're still weary of the internet and you want to see the movie the old-fashioned way on a big screen and i, I can't say i blame you for that because that's the best way to see a movie we really do have is. a number of local venues uh, and screenings coming up in the massachusetts area um, we have a week-long run at the Dedham Community Theater coming up starting on february 16th through the 20th they'll be showing the film every evening at nine and we have uh, the two most recent shows, the two upcoming shows at the Alley Theater in Middleborough on the 31st and 11th have sold out, but they are booking a third. Um, and we're just going to pick the date for that. And as soon as the date is selected, we will post that on the website as well. And we're looking to book another screening at Uplifting Connections, which is a small store, uh, uh, spiritual store in uh, Bridgewater that's shown the film a few times already. So there are opportunities to see it locally as well. And I know that in the past you've been making the offer for organizations that want to host the screening. Is that something that's still on the table? Absolutely. If you go to our website and click on Book the Film, you can contact our sales agent, Bruce Shellman, and his email and uh, phone number are right there and he can help you to organize your own screening of the Bridgewater Triangle documentary if you have a venue that would uh, be appropriate for it. And we do encourage that. So maybe you're a nonprofit organization, you're looking for an interesting fundraiser, something a little bit different. Uh, you know, Here's an opportunity to bring in something that's going to draw a lot of eyes. I mean, you've been selling out all of these screenings. We've had about a dozen shows so far, I think, and we've sold out 10 of them. And out of those 
sellouts. I'm sure you've had a lot of people who have come and seen the film multiple times. We ha- we do have some multiple viewers, um, and it, it's always funny when they when they say, you know, I was at the Bridgewater State Show, and then I went to the Uplifting Show, and now I'm bringing friends to this show, and we really appreciate the people that are viewing it multiple times and bringing new faces along with them every time. It's it's really it's neat to see, and. Part of uh, that, too, is, you know, they're going out and spreading the word. I work a day job uh, with a couple of hundred people in the building that I interact with pretty much each and every one of them. And you guys were recently on Chronicle. And the day after, everybody was coming up to me and saying, I know you're into this paranormal stuff. Have you heard of this Bridgewater Triangle film? I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of in it. And they're like, oh, really? And I I tell them, I said, you you have to see it. What you got on Chronicle was just a little bit of a taste of what the film is about. And all these people are kind of champing at the bit to have their chance to go out and see it. The the Chronicle appearance... You know, that show's been on for years. I remember that show being on when I was a little kid, and they contacted us, and I was really excited about it. But then I'm like, do people still watch Chronicle? I don't oh, know. Yeah, you know, I don't yeah. know people that watch Chronicle or whatever. I, I try to watch it every and, night when I'm home. Yeah, and it was just, it was unbelievable. We were on Chronicle, and the the website hits went through the roof. Uh, right when that happened, we were, we had a third or fourth showing coming up at the Middleborough, uh, the Alley Theater in Middleborough. It was right before Christmas. They were having trouble selling tickets, and I thought, well, maybe it's run its course at that theater and nobody wants to see it. I think it was a combination of the holidays coming up, and you know, we, they ended up being a, a snowstorm, and the, the show got canceled, and there wasn't going to be many people there anyway. And they had to reschedule the show, and the rescheduled show happened after the Chronicle special. And three-quarters of the tickets that they sold after that were from people that saw us on Chronicle. The Chronicle appearance, just things exploded after that. It was really something. Yeah, a lot of people watch that, and I, I can only imagine that you know now, come October, when they really put a focus on this kind of stuff, they're going to be calling you to take them out into the Triangle and bring them out to some of these places instead of just kind of having you guys. And that was a little bit different than, you know, I haven't really seen a lot of those type of interviews on Chronicle where they have you come in and sit down with the host in the studio. Normally, it's usually something done on location with a segment producer or a reporter. Yeah, we were very surprised about that. Number one, that it was in studio. Number two, that it was live. I didn't know that Chronicle was done in a live format. I was kind of stunned about that i was like wait a minute we're coming in live so you know we kind of were nervous because it put more pressure on us not to make a mistake but in the grand scheme of things we were only on for like three minutes so it didn't really it wasn't too difficult was there i'm sorry go ahead money's a jeff question i was gonna say you guys did fine i thought they treated it quite well yeah no yeah it was uh they they were very very nice up there they they were very very courteous and uh i thought it went very very smoothly they showed a lot of the film, which, you know, we gave them a copy of the film and said basically, you know, pick which segments you want to show. And I was stunned. I mean, we, we essentially got like a 13-minute segment, and 10 of it was, was the film. Well, as a, as a filmmaker, I'm sure you're excited to see that much of your film broadcast to such a large audience. Uh, as a businessman trying to, you know, actually make back some of the money that you put into this film, do you feel like they might have given away too much? No, I, I don't think so. Um they showed a large portion of the Hockamock Swamp portion of the film, and then they showed a, a section of from the UFO section of the film of the sighting from by Jerry Lopes and Steve Sprazier, the news reporters that saw the UFO in 1979. But I felt that you know with the amount that they showed it, it was perfect to just drum up that much more interest in the film. But you know the Steve Sprazier part was going to be on anyway because of the connection. So yeah, they they did absolutely because of his his former employment there. They they latched onto that. Has there been any, I mean, I haven't heard it, but has there been any negative reaction from anyone? Have you heard any any complaints about the film at all? Very, very little. Um, if you read the reviews online, they're largely positive. We have three reviews that have been written so far. Um, one only of, three? Yeah, only three. Anybody that's seen the film, go online and write a review right now. <laughs> 
Uh, one of them, uh, the only the only negative was that he, I think he felt that there wasn't enough uh, uniformity to the to the story. It was just like a collection of stories with no structure. Um, and I, I kind of disagree with that because we kind of broke it up by region and by subject right. matter. Um, but, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion, and his review was largely positive, and he definitely recommended that people check it out. So in terms of uh, negative feedback from people, the only thing that I've heard, and I guess this is all a matter of preference, is some people thought we spent a little bit too much time talking about the cult activity in the Freetown State Forest. Um, but then there's other people that that's all they talk about when they see the film is sure. that section of the film. So, that, you know, some of that stuff's just a matter of personal preference. But we welcome the negative feed- feedback just like the positive feedback because we want to know what to do different on the next project. See, and you mentioned the word section, and that's how we've been referring to it, both in our conversations and talking with other people about it. There's, there's definite sections to the film. So it, it does seem to have a structure to me. Uh, the, but for those who are going to this just for paranormal stories, the true crime aspect of it is such a major part of the Bridgewater Triangle story. It is, and I like doing this project because the Bridgewater Triangle has a little bit of something for everybody. It's it, it, you know, it's known for its association with paranormal activity, but it's just a, a, an, a region of mystery more so than just the paranormal because you have the ghosts, you have the UFOs, the cryptic animals. Yeah. The Native American uh, legends and, and folklore. You have the geological mysteries with Dighton Rock and, and Profile Rock. And then you have the true crime aspect of it, especially in the Freetown State Forest section. So it's really a, a buffet of, of mystery. That's <laughs> the only way I can put it. But it has a little bit of something for everybody. All right. We do. There's somebody calling in on the VIP line, and I'm not sure if that's Manny or not, but I had messaged him on Facebook, so maybe he didn't see it. So why don't we take a break? We'll find out who that is. Uh, and if it's not Manny, he'll definitely be joining us in the next hour, and we'll discuss more with him about his involvement in the project, how everything all came together. And uh, we can also take your calls as well. If you have any questions for Aaron Kadju or Manny Familari when he joins us in a bit, 508 996 877-996-1420. You can also post your questions in the chat room on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. You can email them to us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com, or you can tweet them to us at SpookySC. Uh, that is Manny on the VIP line. So we will be joined by him and Jelly. Yeah, yeah. He's, he got on a little bit early tonight. So we will, uh, we'll put him through and we'll talk to him as well as Aaron coming up in just a few minutes with more. Spooky South Coast rolls on. It's our eighth anniversary and we're talking Bridgewater Triangle. South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this. A good evening. I do not attempt to adjust your radio. There is nothing wrong. We have taken control as to bring you this special show. Spooky South Coast is back. Everybody be cool. You be cool. Have a little tray on your eighth anniversary. That's what we do here. We keep their heads ringing. 
Welcome back. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. It is spooky South Coast. It is our eighth anniversary, and we are celebrating it by discussing the Bridgewater Triangle documentary with our guest Aaron Kadju. And joining us on the phone in just a moment will be Manny Familare, the co-director of the film. But we do have a call on the line. So, Manny, we're going to bring you in here. Let me do this correctly and lock you in place. All right. Hello, Manny. How are you? Oh, uh, it helps if I turn up the pod for it. There you are. Hello. Hey. Oh, and the call dropped off, so we can just talk to you, I guess. Oh, <laughs> but if anybody does want to call in, 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. And, Manny, I know that you had been working uh, on triangle research for a few years before you even hooked up with Aaron for this project. Uh, what drew you into the into the topic? Oh, boy. Let's see. Well... When I was a kid, I was addicted to the show Unsolved Mysteries. I think uh, listening to Rock Stack's voice was what did it to me and those mysteries. But uh, <laughs> I, I used to uh, skateboard, and I used to bring my parents' video camera wherever I went. Wherever I went, I, my VHS camera went. And I remember uh, when I heard about the Bridgewater Triangle, I, I didn't hear about the name itself. I just heard about some weird activity that was going on in the town that I was living in, East Bridgewater. So I remember going to the library, and I remember seeing all these articles on uh, Joe DeAndre, and I said, wow, this is really cool. I was only a kid at the time, so I said, wow, you know, this is really cool. Bigfoot, UFOs, and, and I live in the town. So I remember saying, one of these days, I want to make a movie on this, but I was only a kid. You know, I never did it. But then years later, I, uh, I got something called a job, and I got money, <laughs> and I uh, started getting some video equipment and I started getting really heavy back into photography started getting some stuff published and uh, and said you know what I know I don't have the equipment that I really need to do this but I'm going to try to do the best I can so I started and then I remember coming across Aaron and I remember seeing a clip of Alan Alves that he had shot a small little clip on Vimeo and I said uh, you know I can either do one or two things I can either work with him or I can either give up a dream because there's no way that I'm going to be able to uh, compete with this. So I remember working with Aaron and then we just kind of hit it off and we became friends and uh, we just worked really, really hard at it and we got it done and it's been a really good success so far. Well, uh, we we do have the uh, news coming up, but we'll have you with us for the entire uh, next hour, and we can talk more about your research into the triangle. Uh, but I mean, how have you been? Ple- I'm assuming that you've been very pleased with the reaction to the film. Yeah, you know, it's great. I just want to thank everybody who's listening that has come to the film so far, and that has seen it, and uh, it, it's been a really good response so far. And I know earlier you were talking about the Chronicle. The Chronicle uh, segment we did. I actually, I work as a paramedic, and I actually was uh, was complimented on by an entire cardiac cath lab team <laughs> over at a, a hospital in Boston that had seen it, and they loved it. Well, better them yeah. than somebody that was laying on the gurney, and you know, I know. be like, I know, hey, didn't you know? I see you on TV? Well, I've gotten that too, but it's amazing because I mean, I'm sure Aaron will tell you when we wear the shirts. It's, I mean, the response that we get. Um, from wearing the shirts, everyone that we come up, to, you know, that comes up to us says, "Hey, you know, I saw that movie, or I part of that, I heard it's good." We haven't really got anything negative so far. I mean, uh, 
all the responses that we've gotten, all the reviews, it's great. And, and like Aaron said earlier, we have people coming back that are seeing the movie two or three times, if not more. That... So it's, yeah, it's been great. And we, we just got told tonight that we sold out of the February 11th screening over at the Alley Theater, which actually, I believe, Aaron, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that's show number seven. Is it seven? I thought it was like five, but maybe no, we split no, the difference and no. call it six. Yeah, it's up there. It's it's like seven, and uh, we're going to do another one now. And like he said earlier, we're going to do another one at Uplifting Connections, and we've, I think we've done like three or four there, and we've sold out too. And then we have Dedham coming up. It's, it's great. It's going really good. I mean, it just seems like uh, it's it just snowballing as the word gets out there. And as, as people are hearing more and more about the phrase Bridgewater Triangle, they want to find out more about uh, what, what what it's all about. And uh, the film is a perfect introduction to people about some of these stories, and then they can dig a little bit deeper and, and do further research like you did, Manny, over the years. But uh, just the fact that people are paying attention to it, just more stories are just going to start rolling out of this area now that that stigma has been removed. Yeah, it's it's really great. I mean, the, the Q&As that we have afterwards, especially, I mean, the Alley Theater, we have uh, a lot of cast members that show up. And the stories, once people get warmed up, it's amazing that the stories start coming out. Um, some of them are well-known, like PC Phantom Hitchhikers on Route 44, but so about it, so it's really internal. All right, well, we are uh, going to have to take a break coming up here for the news. When we come back on the other side, we'll have some interesting information for you about a campaign that we're doing to try to improve Spooky TV. Now, uh, those of you who are watching on Spooky TV, we do the best we can, but we're trying to amp things up a little bit and bring up the quality of Spooky TV, so we uh, will have information for you about that. Also, tonight was the Lizzie Borden film premiere on Lifetime, and uh, you know we'll have our chance to watch it tomorrow, and uh, I'm going to put a blog up on WBSM.com with my thoughts on the film, but uh, there's been some negative reaction from people online, and some people are, uh, have some positive reaction about it. We've still got a few tickets available for our Legend Trips event, February 22nd, and if you go to legendtrips.com, you can purchase your tickets now. There was only one left. I have made a few more available. We've been able to maneuver some things, so there are a few more available, but don't waste any time. Get right on legendtrips.com and purchase those tickets if you want to join us at the Lizzie Boyd and Bed and Breakfast, February 22nd. We will be right back in just a few minutes on... Welcome back, hour number two of Spooky South Coast. 
Tim Bleisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. We are celebrating our eighth anniversary by discussing the Bridgewater Triangle with our guests Aaron Kaju and Manny Famolare, the co-directors of the Bridgewater Triangle documentary, which is taking the local world by storm and will soon be hitting nationally with their appearance tomorrow on Coast to Coast AM. Well, tomorrow night, you know. Tomorrow night, early Monday, Monday morning. morning. Yeah, but they like to look at it as um, you know they they try to promote it as Monday morning for us because we're on the East Coast. But you know I like to look at it as Sunday night because my Sunday night isn't over if I'm tuning in to listen. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not going to be able to listen. No problem. But that doesn't mean I won't steal it off the internet the next day. Uh, did I say that out loud? I. I mean, I'm a Streamlink member. Uh, so if anybody would like to uh, tune in and check that out, feel free. But if you want to hear some of their past appearances on the show, you can just go to SpookySouthCoast.com or to iTunes, wherever podcasts are found, and you can catch eight years' worth of shows. We're about to enter year nine. And so you have all of these programs, uh, something like almost 600 shows that you can download and listen to. And over the last few years... We brought in the spooky TV aspect of things, which is where we have an in-studio camera. We actually have four in-studio cameras, multiple shots to keep you entertained, and we bring in some pictures and all kinds of things. Well, we're dealing with some equipment that's a little bit older. You know, we, we like to collect things at flea markets and yard sales and pawn shops, and that's how we get by. Well, our equipment is aging, and so are we, and we want you to see that in full HD, how much we are aging. Some of us, Moniz, more than others. And... So we're trying to do a fundraising campaign here to get some new equipment. And since everybody's into crowdfunding these days and trying to get the people to help pay for things, that's what we thought we would do. We do this program completely for free. We're not paid by the station. We don't make any money off of this outside of, you know, the other ventures that we do outside of things off the air. Uh, so this is our idea to try and defray some of the costs of putting on the show instead of it coming out of our own pocket. We pay for the website every year. We pay for podcasting every month so that you can have the show free of charge whenever you want to listen. And so in order to do that, we have to pay for things. So we've put up on GoFundMe.com at GoFundMe.com slash Spooky South Coast, we've set up a campaign in which we can try to raise some funds to be able to keep doing the things that we do and also improve the equipment a little bit here. We want to have a, a laptop that is a high-end laptop that is hopefully uh, has everything that we need for, for quite a few years to come in order to be able to broadcast a better quality program to you. We want to build a desktop system that we can leave here in the studio to be able to broadcast better to you and we want to up Upgrade our webcams, uh, maybe even to a real camera. <laughs> Matt Cossie, I think that might be a possibility. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Enough money. Yeah. Well, I've set the campaign at fifty-five hundred dollars. That's the the target that I put in order to build. You know, we'll probably just have somebody build something rather than just go buy something off the shelf. And Aaron, I'm sure that's the approach that you've used. And I would be happy to help you guys build a machine. That I think would be a better approach than buying something off the shelf at the big box stores. And we may be able to save a little bit of money that way too. So if we collect, if we reach our goal of $5,500 and we have money left over after we purchase the things that we need to do, then what we'll do is we'll put a poll on our website with a number of different charities that we can make a donation to. And then we can have the people who donated, the, the people who listen to the show, vote where we're 
we're going to put that extra money. And that will be something that we donate from the Spooky South Coast family uh, to a worthy organization. So we, we just want you to know we're not in this. This isn't to try to make any money for ourselves personally. This is to upgrade the Spooky South Coast experience for you, the listener, or you, the viewer, and uh, and maybe help some people out along the way as well. So if you go to GoFundMe.com slash Spooky South Coast, you can make a donation. No amount is too big. No amount is too small. If you've been listening to the show for a few years, you know, maybe you want to give us a couple of dollars, much appreciated. If not, we're happy just to have you keep listening. And uh, we also want you to, what, what's the mandate, guys, this year for, for the listener? What's their role? What, what are we asking of them this year? You forgot already. Interact more. You got it. Yes. We want we want to hear attention. more from you. You were paying yeah. attention. We want more phone calls. We want more tweets, more emails, more Facebook posts. Whatever it is that you need to do to get in touch with us and to share your thoughts on the paranormal and the topics we discuss each week, we want you to be involved. It's your show. We're just here to push the buttons. And uh, speaking of pushing buttons, we have with us the two guys who pushed all the right buttons to make the Bridgewater Triangle documentary. Aaron Kadju is here with us in studio, and Manny Familare is on the phone. Manny, how many people, by the way, and all the media that you've done to promote this, how many people have actually pronounced your name correctly? Manny? Oh, I didn't. I pressed the button. Sorry. There you are. Are you there, Manny? I'm here. Okay. Yep. I don't know if you heard my question. I was asking how many people pronounced your, your, your name correctly with all the media that you've been doing. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> I've, heard some, I've heard some different uh, pronunciations, as I have with Aaron's name as well. I just... Uh-huh. Yeah, pretty much gave up on trying to get people to pronounce my last and name. And I properly. know, I know that they ask you right before they go on the air. They, they still mess it up. Exactly. I've, I'm guilty good. of that myself. I've done that. But next time somebody calls you Aaron, could you just say "Go bless you"? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, there, there's been such great response to this film, and, and as you guys were saying, you know, they, the screenings just keep selling out. I want to kind of take things back. Let's go all the way back. Uh, we mentioned the first film a little bit, Aaron, but. How was it that you first found out about the Bridgewater Triangle concept? I was, I love Halloween. I love spooky, morbid things. And I was researching Spidergate Cemetery up in in Worcester as a possible documentary topic. I was like scanning for haunted locations. Because you possibly. knew that was the only way you were going to get in there at night. Yeah. <laughs> was by filming a documentary. Yeah, yeah. So um, then somehow, and I don't remember how it happened, I stumbled across Chris Pittman's sellawalls.com and his whole section on that website about the Bridgewater Triangle. And I started reading about it and I noticed the Freetown Forest State Forest, I mean the Freetown Forest State Forest tie into the Bridgewater Triangle. I grew up on uh, High Hill Road up in North Dartmouth, which is like eight miles down the road from the Freetown State Forest. And I knew all the stories about the Freetown State Forest growing up. And I said, oh wow, I didn't realize this was part of an overall bigger theme with the Bridgewater Triangle. I started reading more about it, and I said, wow, this is really interesting and fascinating, and it's a local topic, it's accessible, uh, and it's something that I could actually pursue. So then back then, I did that little 30-minute documentary called Inside the Bridgewater Triangle, which kind of just basically scratched the surface uh, in a very uh, technically poor <laughs> fashion. But um, Now, hold on a minute, because I remember watching that before you came on the very first time, and Matt Koss and I were like, wow, this, this guy's really good. Like, this is a great film. So, I, I can't. I couldn't. I, I couldn't sit through it if I tried to watch it. Now I probably would just cringe too much. But to make a long story short, 
I made a copy for a friend who gave it to a friend who gave it to a friend. Then all of a sudden I was getting emails and phone calls on like a weekly basis from people saying, how can I buy a copy of Inside the Bridgewater Triangle? How can I get a copy? And I said, I can't sell this. I use copyrighted music, copyrighted images. It was just a practice film basically for a kid that was in college. But in the back of my mind, I said, if I'm ever going to, if, if I'm ever self-employed and have more experience under my belt, th- this would be a great topic for a feature-length documentary. And uh, in 2010, I started laying the groundwork to, to, to do that. Went out and filmed Chris Balzano giving a Freetown State Forest tour. Interviewed him before I really had done anything else for the film and then came across Manny on the Internet uh, and found out that he was working on trying to plan his own documentary on the Bridgewater Triangle, and we joined forces. And and Manny, I'm sure that you heard a buzz about that first film. You know, we talked about it here on the show, and it kind of made its way around the paranormal community. As you said, you know, it had been online for a brief, uh, you know, guilty. <laughs> it was available for a brief amount of time. Uh, so, so you had seen that original film. I have it on my phone right now. There you go. I, I really do. <laughs> well, don't show it to Aaron because <laughs> I really do. I might throw up. <laughs> yeah. Well, the funny thing is, though, is as much as this documentary, everybody is very interested in it. I got an email a few weeks ago from somebody who wanted to see the original Inside the Bridgewater Triangle. And like, I looked all over. I couldn't find it anywhere. And I was like, well, that's because, you know, when Google Video dissolved into YouTube, they went through everything and they took out anything that had copyrighted music. And, and YouTube, believe me, we upload our show every week. They recognize immediately when there's copyrighted music. And uh, so... I don't know. I still think maybe could could you possibly do it and take out the music, or would you be taking out too much of the narration that was over it? Could you re-record the audio track? Maybe I, you know the only. The, I don't. I don't even know if I have any of the raw footage left from that movie hanging around somewhere. But I have a master that the the music is married to the voiceover and the and the talking head stuff. So it would be impossible to separate the two. I'd have to show like a silent version of it. And then I'd have to blur certain images that are copyrighted. It would be, it would be quite interesting trying to but present you, that film in a way that it wouldn't be illegal. Because there, there is a lot of interest in that original version, but you have brought all those elements into the new film. Pretty much everything from the original is in the uh, in the new version. Plus a whole lot more. And plus, I mean, the, the original Inside the Bridgewater Triangle was 34 minutes. This film is 90, so it's a feature length. And when you do see the film, as we mentioned before, there are uh, very different aspects to the film. It talks about the ghost reports. It talks about the Bigfoot sightings. It talks about the true crime stuff. And it seems like each one plays its part in the triangle overall. But I'm sure that when you go out and do the screenings and you have the Q&A afterwards and the audience can ask questions... Does it ever seem to take a bend one way or another? Are there more ghost questions? Are there more Bigfoot questions? It usually depends on where the screening was. When we premiered it at UMass Dartmouth, there was a lot of talk of the Freetown State Forest at the end of that show at the Q&A. Uh, when we take it up to Middleborough and it shows at the Alley Theater, it's mostly conversations about ghosts at that at that venue. Um, so it varies. You know, sometimes it's ghosts, sometimes it's... Well, look at the regions you're put, playing them in. That's where, you know... If in Dartmouth you're closer to the Freetown State Forest, that's where the the murders and stuff happen. You're in Bridgewater, you get a lot more of the UFO and ghosts. So yeah, it's regional. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And and Manny, I know that uh, you're someone that likes to look at the forest for the trees and and make a lot of the connections uh, and, and go deeper and see the patterns in a lot of this research. And and what have you kind of gleaned from your work on the documentary that might have uh, even expanded the scope more of when you were doing your research on your own and and before you were actually putting it onto film? Uh, are you starting to see more connections among 
amongst the things that you did previously? I am. I mean, there are some things from uh, going deeper into the swamp and going deeper into the forest like we did when we filmed. You know, we noticed we notice some things. I know that uh, when Aaron and I and my friend Mike had gone out to find the bunker and the shack, I know that uh, it was actually, uh, that's, uh, that's interesting. It's an interesting story. But when we went out there, though, it was, uh, you know, we saw different areas that I had never seen before. So it kind of, it kind of connects some stuff. I mean, it, it still comes together, though. Yeah, that's the thing is, like, as much as you start to think that you figured out the patterns, uh, then all of a sudden something comes that changes the game. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of things. It seems like every day you're learning something new. One of the unfortunate things about doing this project was we knew as soon as the film was released that people were going to come out of the woodwork to tell their stories. And there have been some pretty intriguing stories that have come out after we've, we've released the project. You know, in some of the cases we're trying to maybe work with those people to get them into the bonus features of the film somehow or maybe do an expanded cut or something like that, which would be a lot of work. But um, unfortunately, that's what happens with something like this. Um, you know, people sit on their story for a while and then they see it was told in a multimedia. It's people telling their stories in a multimedia format like this and they're like, oh, maybe I should get in touch with these guys. And it's funny, you'll get a lot of calls from people who are like, I don't know if it's if you can use this, but I saw this at this location and whatnot. And it's like, I'm sorry, you know, the film has been out since October, I mean, you know, maybe we'll, you know, take down your name and information, and maybe contact you for bonus features is the best that we can do. You know, well, too, you yeah. never. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Manny. Oh no, no, sorry, I'm sorry. And I know what Aaron was saying. It's it. He's he's right at the uh, the uplifting connection screening. We actually uh, feature a story in the film of uh, a Bigfoot that allegedly picked up the back end of the police car, and we actually had a woman come up to us and tell us that that was her father. That was in the police car, and uh, at the Middleborough screening, we feature a story on John Baker, uh, the alleged Bigfoot encounter that he had in Huckamuck Swamp, and we actually uh, met his wife at the Middleborough screening. So yeah, it really does bring out some interesting people. Funny story about that, if I if I may. When I did Inside the Bridgewater Triangle, I went looking for John Baker. I had talked to the guy from the Boston Herald who wrote that article. His name is Ed Hayward. And I said, I'm looking to interview John Baker. And Ed said, the only way I know how to find him is to give you directions to his house. I said, He said, I don't have a phone number for him or anything like that. He said, and I don't even know the exact house number, but go to this street. It's the third house on the left or whatever. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. But I drove to the guy's house, walked up to the front door, and knocked. And this woman kind of come around the corner, and she looked at me from, like, far distance through the glass in the door, and she goes, can I help you? I said, you know, I'm a documentary filmmaker. I'm interested in talking to John Baker about his his Bigfoot encounter. And she goes, I'm sorry, he passed away. No. So he had passed away, but she was so hesitant to come to the door. And I don't blame her. It's just some strange dude just showing up on your doorstep looking to talk to your deceased husband or whatever. But... Um, then I met her at the uh, at the Middleborough show, and I was like, "Remember, I came to your house, and you were afraid to come to the door." It's kind of funny. Yeah, she gave us the article too. She gave us the original. She had it with her. She gave us the original Herald, uh, the whole uh, the front page and everything, and the uh, the inside the inside article. She gave it to us, which was great. Well, you know, the thing is too, you never know. Uh, you know, depending on where this film is going to go, you know, say you hook up with a broadcast network and it does so well that now they want more and you're, you know, you're pitching to them your next idea and they're like, no, no, we want more Bridgewater Triangle. So it's always good that people keep reporting these stories to you, which they can do through your website, the Bridgewater Triangle documentary.com. And when they do that, you know, you, you can just, 
always have that kind of that base. Uh, and I know that you discussed the possibility of kind of using that as a database, too, for people to, to share their stories. Yeah, well, we go to these screenings and people are looking for some way or some central location that they can su- submit their stories to. And because right now, if you Google the Bridgewater Triangle, we're like number two on the organic list after the Wikipedia page. So we might be one of the first things people click on. And we'd like to sub- have an area where they can submit their own personal stories and they can, you know, do it anonymously. We, they, you don't have to have your name attached to it, but we're happy to just put up any stories that people want to submit. And I know that we've got some on the old spooky South Coast forum that people used to go up there and share. And, and, uh, you know, we've heard both, we've heard stories both where people would come forward and give their names and stories that were told anonymously that I know that people would be willing to share in, in that type of format. And when you're going forward with this now, you've, you've kind of become the vanguards of the Bridgewater Triangle. And I know that Lauren Coleman, who coined the phrase, has kind of, um, you know, kind of anointed you as such, as being the guys who are kind of carrying that torch right now. Is that a mantle that you want to keep carrying on? Manny, do you want to answer that one? (laughs) Well, that's a tough one. You know, that's a tough one to answer. I mean, there's a lot of researchers out there, and and everyone's, you know, entitled to their own opinion. I mean, it's nice (laughs) to be able to uh, have Lauren say that, but, um, you know, there's a lot of good researchers out there. And... uh, you know, we just want to keep up what we're doing and uh, take it from there. And as filmmakers, too, you probably don't want to get pigeonholed into one avenue either. Well, as I said earlier in the show, I'm a major skeptic when it comes to a lot of this stuff. As, as, and as, you know, I'd like to be, believe more of it, you know, but it's hard because I'm so scientifically minded. Uh, and I consider myself a filmmaker and a storyteller first, and I'm not, I have never considered myself a paranormal researcher, maybe a paranormal enthusiast just because it's the subject of the Bridgewater Triangle intrigued me, but, um, you know, I'm happy to, well, we're happy to take people's stories and put them up on the website. We're, we're not opposed to doing more involving the Bridgewater Triangle, but there are other topics that I would like to tackle uh, as a film, you know, down the road. So, uh, you know, but if Lauren is entrusting us as the, the torch bearers at the moment, then, you know, we're happy to take that role. He changes his mind a lot, too, so there's that. Uh, and I, I'm sure that you're kind of kicking yourself, too, that somebody else beat you to the concept of the American Scream, because I know that that's something that's very close to your heart, too, is the, the home haunts. Well, you know, I, I'd never considered doing a documentary on that, but they did well, such a not? phenomenal job on that that they did it, and that's not something that I would want to do just because it would be hard to top what they did. Now, how crazy is that, as a documentary film fan, to, to have this film made about people who are five miles from your house? It was it was really interesting because I, I do that every Halloween and drive my wife crazy with, with having a graveyard and ghouls and witches and ghosts flying all over the property and all sorts of stuff like that. And then somebody told me about this American Scream documentary. And they're like, oh, it took place in Fairhaven. I'm like, what? It took place in Fairhaven? <laughs> and then through doing the Bridgewater Triangle documentary, we were able to meet the gentleman that starred in the American Scream. And it was fantastic because, you know, that's a hobby of mine. So that was really, really cool to meet those guys and to meet Victor and, uh, and Manny, uh, you know, at the uh, Fairhaven uh, South Coast Paranormal and Psychic Fair, actually. And, and Manny Souza's listening right now, so let's say hello to him. He's a Hello, Manny Souza. Big, spooky South Coast fan. Been here with us since the first week, uh, so we, we thank him. And uh, how about yourself, Manny? Uh, you know, what, what are some of the other topics that you would like to, to tackle going forward? Well, the way that it's going now, I'd, I'd like to continue with this topic. There's so much that you could do that when Aaron and I were doing this, there were so many decisions on what content to use, what content not to use. 
and what content to use and how it would affect the viewers and what content not to use and how it would affect the viewers. And there was just so much research that was done into this. And there's so many areas that people still come up to me today and say, hey, did you talk about Taunton State Hospital? And we say, no. And people right. say, did you talk about this? Did you talk about that? Did you talk about I mean, there's so much that I'd like to continue doing different things with the Bridgewater Triangle because there's just there's so there's the amount of stories that come out of this. I mean, there's enough uh, there's enough work out there that you could do another documentary on it. And, and with all the research that you've been doing uh, over the years, I'm sure that you kind of just scratch the surface of a lot of the stories that can be told, and uh, there's there's probably so much stuff that you were sitting on, and as you said, more rolling in that you could probably keep yourself busy just researching this topic for many more years to come. You could. You really could. There's a lot of uh, weird and strange things out there that, ha- that have happened and that are still happening today. There could be something strange happening as we speak. I think we're losing you a little bit there, Manny. Walk, closer, walk further away from the Bridgewater Triangle. Actually, that's what I'm talking about now. It's, oh, believe me, we're used to that. After uh, eight years of the show, we know that sometimes the topics that we talk about don't want us talking about them. Yeah, maybe I should stop. There's some weird stuff. <laughs> it, do, it does tend to. At least, at least you're not uh, trying to get the Starboy twins on the phone. Oh man, every time we try to have them on the show, it's phone issues Any after phone issues. Any show that they go on, there's always technical issues. Yeah, it gets to the point where I start to worry less about aliens and more about you know whether or not they're getting their money's worth from their phone service. <laughs> just to, just to piggyback a little bit on what Manny was saying, if you watch this documentary. Any one of the topics that we cover could be a documentary by itself. Oh, you could do an hour and a half just on the Hockamock Swamp and still have material left that didn't make it into the film. You could do an hour and a half just on the Freetown State Forest. You could do an hour and a half just on the mystery of Dighton Rock alone. So that's one of the beauties of this is any one of these topics could develop into a documentary of its own. Yeah, even the uh, – oh, actually, first of all, can you hear me? Okay. Oh, yeah, we can hear you now. All right. Um, yeah, even with certain places that we didn't talk about, like uh, Taunton State Hospital. I mean, I, I, like I said, I work as a paramedic. I, I've been in there at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I've been there at 3 o'clock in the morning. I've been in the tunnels. I've taken patients in and out of there that would make the hair stand up on the back of your neck um, for, for what they've done. And, you know, I've heard stories of things that have happened in there, and that alone, could be a documentary. It could be. It could be a. It could be an episode on ghost adventures or ghost hunters. So I mean, there's just so many different places to uh, to go to. And I, I think that's the other issue uh, that will come up from this is we're going to see a lot more people actively uh, researching some of these sites that are discussed, wh- whether or not they do it legally or not. Of course, we don't condone anybody trespassing. I feel like we need to say that every time we talk about this, but uh, you know, you're going to have more people heading out to these locations looking to have that experience. So before, where a lot of these stories that you were able to capture were things that happened to people almost accidentally, now you're going to have things that are going to happen to people who are going out and searching it out, and that's going to bring in a whole uh, new avenue and a whole new aspect to the story. Yeah, like we, you know, yeah, I mean, obviously, no, no trespassing, of course. And, you know, if anyone's listening and they want to go venture off into the Huckamuck Swamp, just, you know, be careful. I mean, I worked for the fire department over in West Bridgewater. I was on two calls where 
the hunter was lost for over six hours, and he just could not find his way out of there. I mean, they had fire engines set up in Easton at the dog track with the sirens blaring. They had a Rainham engine set up. They had one at the NIP, and they had one down behind the Charlie horse, all with the sirens going. And he just, he was on the cell phone the whole time with the fire chief, and he just could not find his way out of there. I mean, he was just stuck in areas that he said were almost impassable. So if anyone is listening and they want to go out there and find anything or just venture off in there, just be careful because uh, it is uh, it is a tough tough area. So you guys decide to, to work together on this film, and there's probably, I mean, was it kind of an organic you know partnership right away, or was there a lot of debate and discussion about how exactly you're going to tackle this topic? Oh, I hate it, Aaron. <laughs> no, no, we, uh, we, you know, I'm like the easiest guy in the world to get along with. So when Aaron and I met, we just kind of hit it off. And, uh, you know, I think Aaron can feel Aaron. I mean, we just kind of started talking on the phone and just became friends and just kind of, you know, we're there on the same Yeah, there, there really wasn't any sort of a power struggle. Um, well, not no, so much we, power, but more just kind of an approach. Yeah, I mean, uh, it we each brought different things to the table, I think. Um, and, you know, I, from the beginning, I, I wanted to approach it in the way that we did. And I don't know if Manny just agreed or if he wanted to do it the same way. I think he kind of thought about doing it the same way. So it just kind of, you know. kind of, you each have the same vision going into it. Because, I, I mean, I wrote a book with Chris Balzano. And when we wor- started working together on it, he wanted to have all these discussions about tone, about style, about who was going to have, you know, the the final edit of it and how it was going to all work out and which voice we were going to use to tell it. And, and in the end, I said, hey, let's just write it and see what happens. And when we wrote, we found out we were both essentially writing the exact same way. And it kind of just came together very organically like that. And it sounds like the film was the same way. Yeah, and as we, as I was saying before, we kind of let the stories tell the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so the film kind of made itself in a way, um, kind of put itself together like a giant puzzle. Um, you know, you, you, there are decisions that have to be made about what goes where and whatnot, but the subject matter was there. You know, it was intriguing. Uh, it would have probably been intriguing. It could have been put to, put together five different ways and it probably would have there probably would have been something intriguing about each one of those uh methods well because at the heart of it you have this fantastic material to work with you have these stories that are very believable and, and very engaging you have these people who are very engaging uh manny for you what was probably the most uh astonishing part of working on the film what was it that you know had you scratching your head even despite all the stories that you'd heard over the years uh just hearing all the witnesses gathering all the information and you know like i said earlier there was content that we had to make a decision whether or not we were going to use it or not you know for instance i'll give you an example of the mary little ruta um we do have the crime scene photos did we want to use them at first yes i did i I told aaron i go i I think we should but then aaron said absolutely not and then you know after thinking about it for a week I, i agreed with them and i was like you know what it's you know, it's probably best that we actually don't use them. But another roadblock that we had hit was there's a newspaper in Boston, I won't say which one, but we had found out that they were going to charge us an obscene amount of money to use each article, even for a few seconds. So once we once we found out, 
that, well, this newspaper is going to charge us, I think it was $3,000. It would have been six. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. Yeah, once we found that out, we kind of tallied up everything that we had, and we were, oh, my God, 40, 50 grand, if not more. At least. I, yeah, so I said, uh, well, you know, now we got to go and we're going to find all these other newspapers. So we did, but there's still, there's a lot of good articles out there that we found that are uh, still in that newspaper. But uh, you just it's a little expensive to use them, so we had to use uh, other ones. I mean that that is a problem, and and we found out firsthand that you you know you can't just grab any picture off the internet and put it on your website, and no. uh, I'm sure it's the same with the film. It's probably worse with the film because you know they're looking at that as being essentially you know it's a for profit venture, so they want to make sure that they get their cut of it uh, as well. One of the things that is going to change the the landscape's going to change of the triangle and especially of the Hockamock Swamp uh, because there's going to be that commuter rail that will be built. South Coast Rail is coming. It's going to be coming through that through that region and it's going to go right through the heart of the Hockamock Swamp and it's going to not only change the environmental factors of it, it's going to have some impact on the paranormal aspect of it as well. So once that starts happening, I think we're going to have an even bigger increase in stories and what's I think the 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 part of this that will be the most interesting when it happens is you're going to have that same mainstream media that's going to be reaching out to you, looking for you to comment about the increased number of paranormal reports happening in the Hockamock Swamp. And that same newspaper that wanted to charge you an arm and a leg is going to be calling you and asking you for an interview for one of their stories. So you'll get your revenge one way or another. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was a tough thing. And luckily we had uh, the newspapers around here, Standard Times, Fall River Herald and Brockton Enterprise all said, use whatever articles of ours that you want, just give us credit in the film. And they were fantastic to let us do that. And one of the things that we ended up doing was we would go through the the articles from the big newspaper up in Boston and see where the dates were on them, and then we'd look in the archives of the local papers to see if there was any of the same stories, not the same exact story, not written by the same guy, but covered in the same you know, they, if, if that newspaper was covering the same the same story, in a lot of cases there were. Mm -hmm. So where we couldn't use an article from that big newspaper up in Boston, we used the equivalent article from the uh, Brockton Enterprise, and it worked out perfectly. And, and the good thing is, is you know, f as newspapers start to fade away, uh, this is just another way to kind of preser preserve those stories is to have them in this film. And what was probably once, you know, a throwaway story for the editor at the time. Hey, you know, we're hearing this weird report. Why don't you go out there and cover this, you know, cub reporter just out of out of college? Why don't you go there and handle the, the crazy guy who saw a UFO? You know, now it's become something that's been forever, uh, forever recorded here in a film and plays a big part in the lore of the region. Yeah, and... One of the funny things, too, is that that newspaper that we we couldn't use articles from, we actually did use a couple. And because if you know your copyright law, anything published before 1923 is in the public domain. Mm -hmm. So we feature a couple articles from that paper, and there's nothing they can do about it because they were published before 1923. Got away with carrying a whole excerpt in one of my books. Yep. Hey, it's, yeah. They don't like it, and they don't want you to know your copyright law. But if you know your copyright law, there are there are ways around certain things. And that's the uh, that's the aspect that I think a lot. I'm going to be honest with you. You know, there's a lot of people who approach us to take part in projects and things that I know are going about it the wrong way. Uh, I know there's people who are sneaking into places that they're not supposed to for paranormal investigation. There's people who are trying to make films about things that they don't have permission to do so, and uh, you know, there's they're the ones that are going to kind of suffer and fall by the wayside, but 
at the same time, you know, they're the ones that are kind of raising the eyebrows of the people in charge of these things. So, you know, it's it's very hard to come at them and say, well, listen, this is different than everything else that you've been approached for. You know, we're legitimate. We're serious about this. And it's just because you're working in the paranormal genre, whether you like it or not, that's how you're going to be perceived. So, I mean, did you, do you feel like there was some of those roadblocks your way just because of the subject matter? Do you feel like maybe if this was something, uh, you know, say Lizzie Borden movie aired tonight. So if you were trying to go deeper into that story, do you feel like maybe you would have had better access? Manny, you want to take that? I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. In terms of access, we weren't really roadblocked too much. Mm-hmm. I will say that. Prior to starting this documentary, I tried to get a documentary, a documentary off the ground about the uh, cult murders in Fall River, the whole Carl Drew Robin Murphy case, and I got stonewalled at every that, turn get, with yeah. that documentary, which made me want to do it that much more. Sure. Um, and now I'm kind of hoping that maybe the highway murders could be my next topic for a documentary. That's something I'm interested in doing. And maybe I won't get roadblocked quite as much on that one as but I did with the Carl Drew Robin Murphy case. You'll still have a lot of issues with that, though, um, especially when you try to get, you know, you essentially got to put yourself into a world that doesn't want you snooping around in it. And so that's where, you know, it's different with this because at least you're sharing people's personal stories. And with the, I'm sure that the true crime aspect of the film was probably one of the harder things for you guys because uh, not only are you dealing with something that not all the details were always made available, you did have Alan Owls, of course, at your disposal who can tell you more of the story behind the story, but you're dealing with something that there's still backlash from that. You still hear from families who don't want you discussing what happened. You still hear from people who are associated or claim to be associated with that cult that don't want you discussing it. We've had that happen here. We've gotten letters and emails of people saying, stop talking about that. We don't want you talking about it. Well, I mean, maybe I'm just stubborn, but I, I really didn't care if people wanted me talking about it or not, us talking about it or not. But uh, we didn't get it. We, we kind of, if you watch the film, that case, we kind of just give a summary of it. We don't get too deep into that. We just mention it in terms of its association with the Bridgewater Triangle. Um, but, uh, you know, it's uh, that, that part of the film is kind of, we had to kind of tread lightly with that whole thing because you, you, you get into the whole realm of Satanism as a, as a concept. And one of the things we wanted to make very clear in this movie was that we were not branding what happened in the Freetown State Forest as being associated with a particular sect of Satanism. We made sure to say that the Church of Satan and the Temple of Set, some of these set, Temple of Set, some of these mainstream satanic, essentially they're atheists, so they're not really a religion, but I guess you, for the sake of the conversation, we'll call them a religion. They don't condone the kind of things that were going on in the Freetown State Forest. So we made sure to, to say that in the film and that the, these were self-stylized Satanists that were doing these things mm-hmm. out in the Freetown State Forest because that, that gets a little dicey and a little sticky. And it's probably one of the more controversial aspects of the documentary. I, I mean, and I know that you've done a lot of research in, in the, uh, the, the crime area, Manny, yourself, but, you know, a real Satanist, you're not going to know that they're a Satanist. There are those who are, you know, out there in the public eye, like Anton LaVey and the Church of Satan. But, you know, the true, quote-unquote, evil cults are not going to be out in the woods getting caught doing these type of things. They're not going to be leaving, you know, signs of their presence behind. They're going to be operating so far behind the scenes that you'd never know that they existed. And so that's where I think, you know, a lot of people are uh, putting these huge... uh, 
overtones on what was essentially just a bunch of stupid young people that were down the wrong path. I think that I think that's right, and I think you know there were some pretty gruesome things happening in there that would be hard to to uh, blame on on young kids, maybe maybe a little bit older, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of a thing, you know. Is it was it you know impressionable teenage youth that were listening to you know Black Sabbath that were doing some of these things like drawing you know six 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 on a rock up at the Asana Ledge, or you know uh, was it you know something more a darker element where you're coming across a dozen baby calves slaughtered in the in one of the most remote sections of the Freetown State Forest? I mean, you kind it's kind of hard to blame that on 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 kids. But well, when I say kids, though, I mean young people. No, yeah, you know, yeah, like, I, I, hear I what just you're mean saying. you know the the Carl Drew type. Uh, and, and you had a lot of these just – I mean, I don't even really know how to describe uh, him and, and Robin. Mer- I mean, obviously they're evil people, and they, they committed evil acts. But at the same time, uh, they're just – they're not Satan on Earth either. You know, they're, they're just people who did bad things. And people want to put – a, a giant label on everything that happens out there. You know, uh, I know people who refuse to ever go to that state forest because they're like, no, that's where all the Satanists are. Well, and one of the f- interesting misconceptions is that there has never been a human victim associated with cult activity discovered in the Freetown State Forest. All three of the bodies of those prostitutes were found, two of them were found in Fall River which technically lies outside the traditional borders of the Bridgewater Triangle, although the the borders are debated. And the third victim, a fragment of her skull, was found in Westport. So there has never been a human victim of of satanic ritual sacrifice discovered in the Freetown State Forest. They tried to lump Cater into that stuff just as a defense, but, you know, it didn't stick. And it's funny if you... People get the Cater case, the Carl Drew Rob Murphy case, and the highway killings confused, and some people associate different aspects of those cases with the, the other cases. And actually, those three cases had absolutely nothing to do with each other other than the fact that the Cater case's defense attorney was trying to blame Mary Lou Ruder's murder on the cult that was operating in the Freetown State Forest. Yeah, I mean, that was just trying to, you know, uh, lump it in with everything else that was going on and, and get the client off the hook. Is there, uh, when you, I, I guess this is kind of a loaded question, but, I like to look at the things that happen in this area, and I discuss it in the film where I talk about, you know, King Philip's War, for example. Is that the reason why we have all this, or is that just another byproduct of this area? And I ask the same things about the, the cult activity and about the crime activity in there. Is it is that feeding into this, or is whatever here, is this darker stain on this area, what is causing that? Have either one of you either uh, made up your mind on that? No, no, I don't think so. That's a tough one. I mean, there's, you know, it could be anything. It's kind of the chicken or the egg, I guess. Right. It's almost yeah. impossible to, to answer. One, one thing I will say, though, is I think that it will continue to perpetuate itself. So it, whatever the root cause is, the fact that it keeps happening is why it's going to keep happening. You know, the fact that in the past we know that evil has used the Freetown State Forest for its own purposes means that people will always look at that as a place to go and do evil. So it's just going to keep happening again and again. And uh, Chicken egg. Right. But it's at least now we know that this is the reason why. You know, these idiot kids are going to go there to do their stupid, quote-unquote, cult activity because they know other cults have been there already. So 
you're just going to see it keep going and going. And I know it's tried as much as they can to get rid of that connotation with the Freetown State Forest, but then we have something like what happened a few years ago with the Native American ceremonial ground getting burned down. And, you know, you can go out there any given night and you can see all the signs out there. And I'm sure Alan has pointed out to you, we don't want to tell people what they are on the air, but I'm sure he's pointed out to you exactly what to look for when you know that they've been out there. You do discuss some of it in the film. Yeah. Um, you know, how much of that stuff is going on out there nowadays, I, I really can't say. Um, you know, my wife and I have a one-year-old daughter, and we take her to the kitty waiting pool at the main entrance on uh, Slybridge Road there. So, you know, um, I, I, I really don't know how sinister of a, of, a, of a location it is nowadays. I mean, there are sections of that, that, that forest that are so remote that we may never know if there's still things going on out there unless you take the time to go walk and, and do the, walk the trail. I can tell you, we went out there. Uh, I don't even remember what we were out there for, Moniz. Uh, but we were out there one day, and <laughs> we're out on the Asonet Ledge, and we're at the end, the very edge of the ledge looking over. We turn around to go start walking by, and all of a sudden these people had shown up, yeah. young guys. And we're like, all right, what's going on here? And we happened to kind of just walk right up into a drug deal. <laughs> and then another time we went there, and we had just pulled up to the ledge, and we see the people out there, and it was a drug deal. So, you know, as much as they're trying to remove some of this crime element from there, it's never going to be uh, completely removed. That's interesting, too, because if you're trying to hide yourself in the Freetown State Forest, the ledge is not the place to do it, because that's probably the most popular spot right. in the Freetown State Forest. So but that's kind of interesting. It's also the best landmark, too, for them, I guess, to say, well, let's meet there. That's, that's true. But uh, not to give anybody any ideas. But uh, the, and the thing, too, is, uh, you know, again, we don't advocate anybody trespasses. And I know the, the feeling is that that's public property because it's a state forest. But you can't go in there after dusk without permission. Do not attempt to do it. And even then, they're really, it's very rare that they even give permission anymore for people to do that. No, and technically, we probably were supposed to get permission to even film in there for a documentary film. But we got permission to film at Dighton Rock State Park, but we did not bother getting permission to go take footage at the ledge or any of these locations in the Freetown State Forest. I just, you know, guilty as charged, I say, I pay state tax dollars in, to live in this state. And if I want to go take video footage out in Freetown State Forest, I'm going to do it. And you can arrest me if you want to stop me. Yeah, I don't think, would you have to have a permit to film in a public we would, I mean, like I said, with Dighton Rock State Park, we had to fill out a form. We had to submit a, uh, a small fee to film there. But that's a privately run Yeah, and that's an indoor museum that yeah. we were trying to get access to. So I, I really, I don't think there's a law against taking a video camera out into the into a state reserve. To, get, to, did you get permits to film in the different towns you were filming in? Because a lot of them just want you to have a permit anyway to film. No, well, if you're filming from the sidewalk on the street, there's nothing anybody can do about it. But... Uh, so in that regard, we did not need, like, we went to, we got a shot of the exterior of the Lizzie Borden house. Not that they would have opposed us get it going on the actual mm -hmm. property to get it, but we only needed a quick shot of it, so we shot it from the street. Um, so when you're shooting from the sidewalk, if any, if, if, if you're ever shooting from the sidewalk and a cop tries to give you a hard time, you are on public property and there's nothing they can do about it. Unless you're coming in with a whole crew of people and you're causing some sort of a safety hazard, or if you're, it's just you and your camera, you, you pretty much have the freedom to do what you want. All right, well, why don't we take our final break of the program. When we come back on the other side, we'll wrap things up with our guests tonight, Aaron Kaju and Manny Familare. If you would uh, like to call in with any questions for them, you can give us a call, 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. We'll be back in just a moment with more here on Spooky South Coast.
isn't it? How everybody in town's afraid of you. What's going to happen tomorrow is going to happen, and all your worry in the world isn't going to change that. Spooky South Coast is back. Welcome back. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz. We are talking about the Bridgewater Triangle documentary with our guests, Aaron Kadju and Manny Famalare. And this film, again, it's selling out everywhere. They're having screenings. You are going to have the chance to see it in the theater coming up, right, uh, Aaron? We have it coming uh, to the Dedham Dedham theater? Community Theater, February 16th through the 20th, every night at 9. And the phone number to order tickets is on the website, the Bridgewater Triangle Documentary.com, under upcoming screenings. But for those of you listening, you know, we know that we have a worldwide audience and not everybody can make it uh, to these screenings. So you do have the option of watching it from the comfort of your own home beginning this Tuesday night. That's correct. Tuesday night at 10 o'clock, we're going to offer a live internet pay per view stream of the documentary at 10 o'clock through Spooky TV. Uh, so we'll have a link on our website, and I'm sure the Spooky South Coast guys will put up a link as well. Uh, so you just tune in, uh, get your stream running a little before 10 o'clock, and uh, you will be watching the Bridgewater Triangle documentary in its entirety. And we're hoping to have a few more live streaming uh, dates to follow. And it looks like, Matt Cost, like you've already got the uh, pay-per-view option all set up already. Yep, uh, you should be able to go on uh, SpookySouthCoast.com and uh, purchase tickets. So go to SpookySouthCoast.com slash SpookyTV or SpookyTV.SpookySouthCoast.com. You can go right to SpookySouthCoast.com, and it's right on the front page. Or you can go on to um, – got to look to see where I put it. I'm sorry. Well, the important thing, too, is if you don't use the web, yeah. you can use the Ustream app, right, to purchase the pay-per-view? I'm not sure if you can purchase it on the app, but I know you can – I'm pretty sure you can view it on, on your app. So you can view it from your telephone anywhere. You can – so yeah. there, there you go. So, I mean, you really have no excuse not to see the film. Again, this Tuesday night at 10 o'clock and some other screenings planned uh, as well. And the chance to see it from your own home. Plug it into your TV if you want. Watch it on your phone. You know, however you want to do it. But it's going to be live. It's not going to be downloadable. You have to watch it as it's happening. Exactly. It's like watching a, a prize fight on pay-per-view. And the uh, the only good thing about that, though, is you know you won't feel like you've wasted your money when you spend you know fifty five sixty dollars for one of those fights and it's over in eight seconds. You know this is going to be affordable for people, and you're definitely going to get your money's worth. So it's it's no different than renting an on demand movie or, or going out to the movie theater, you know, and and you'll have the chance to see this before anybody else that you know has. Uh, we uh, we do have a phone call on the line here, so let's try and squeeze that in real quickly before the end of the program. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you? Hey, Tim. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. I'm just uh, I'm, I'm going to make it fast to say happy anniversary. Thank you. I, I called eight years ago, so I figured I'd call tonight, too. There you go. All righty. Thank you so much. All right, Tim. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, that is. It's our eighth anniversary. Who knows? You know, maybe we'll actually grow up someday. <laughs> but the Bridgewater Triangle, of course, is something we have been talking about uh, since the very beginning. Uh, again, as I mentioned, I think it was like our third or fourth show that we had Aaron in for, and we've had Manny on in the past as well. And it just seems like more and more 
this is the, the topic that everybody wants to discuss, and we're going to hear from people worldwide watching this pay-per-view uh, just how fascinated they are with this story. And I want to give you guys props for making a film that not only covers the topic uh, perfectly the way that I'd want to see it covered, but also being such a, a visually appealing, well-written, well-directed film uh, definitely is going to be uh, a feather in your cap going forward. And just wait. You know, you look at that old original Inside the Bridgewater Triangle and say that you cringe. I f- feel like this film is going to be something that you'll never cringe from going forward. Well, I, I hope you're right. And Manny and I and the entire crew cannot thank the uh, Spooky South Coast guys in WBSM enough for what they've done for us in terms of in terms of helping to promote it and uh, all three of the gentlemen I'm sitting with here were in the film and appeared in the film and I, I appreciate that as well. You guys are awesome. We apologize yeah, for any lack of sales that come as a result of that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having us tonight. Oh, no problem. And and uh, and Manny, I know that um, you know people have been sharing stories with you for all these years and and. You, there, there's probably been so many of them that you, you couldn't share and you couldn't tell publicly. Uh, thank you for being somebody who has given so much of your time to uh, being a sounding board and being a sympathetic ear for people who have had these experiences that they just can't explain. Oh, thank you. And also for being somebody who actually will roll up his sleeves and dig into the old newspapers and, and watch all the old microfilm and, and really get into the heart of these stories and, and find things that other people just can't find. Right. All right. A lot out there. Yeah, and there's there's so much more to uncover. So you know, we we appreciate all of your efforts. Uh, again, the uh, pay per view will be this coming Tuesday at ten o'clock. You can purchase your ticket now on SpookySouthCoast.com. Does that does that say five ninety nine on the on the pay per view? Five dollars and ninety nine cents. That's all it costs to see the film. Cents. That's the same price as watching an on-demand movie. You cannot go wrong with that, folks. Five ninety-nine. See, this is the salesmanship aspect of what I do. You can't, you can't go wrong with that, seriously. And think about it too. That's you know less than you would pay for one ticket to see this anywhere else. If there's a screening, for five ninety-nine, you can purchase it and have the whole family sit on the couch with you and watch it. Or maybe you don't want to sit on the fam- on the couch with your family. It's up to you. We don't judge. However, you live your family life. That's your problem. But uh, you can certainly purchase that now and watch it at 10 p.m. on Tuesday night. And now, Matt Costa, technical question. The chat room will still be right next to the pay-per-view as it's going on? Yep. You can uh, join in the uh, chat room, discuss what's going on. So you can either full you can full screen the video if you choose to. Yep. You can screen just like screen. you can any other YouTube video or what have you. Yep. But you can also jump in the chat room. So I'm going to try and do my best to make sure that I'm in there if anybody has any questions during the course of the film. And uh, we'll see if we can get some other folks from the film to be involved in it as well. We can kind of have an impromptu Q&A going on while the film is screening. So everybody definitely purchase your tickets for that and stay tuned to the Bridgewater Triangle documentary.com for more upcoming physical screenings and online streaming pay-per-view opportunities as well. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks again. It was an honor. And thank yeah, you. Thank you. Thank you for helping us celebrate our eighth anniversary in style. And uh, we are so excited to be talking with you coming up in year nine, beginning next week when we'll be joined by Ken DaCosta, who will be discussing with us the idea of the paranormal as a religion. So until next week, for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. 
it's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again.